The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. We want to welcome you to the Identity Matters podcast. Within this podcast, we do exactly that, is we cover the identity issues related to a true, authentic, born-again, indwelt believer. Hi, my name is Dr. Finney, and I will be your host today. We want to welcome you to our podcast today. We are going to be covering a topic called Paul's Indwelling. And it's very easy for, I think, each of us to not understand indwelling salvation versus salvation. You say, really, is there a difference? Well, the word does make it quite clear to us that there are people who believe that they were saved because they believed. But the Lord is very specific in instructions when leading others to his son's indwelling. Now, I want to ask you guys first a question in regard to if you are helping and assisting someone that is going to accomplish an objective and a mission for you, and they got about half of your message and have been very, very responsible and proactive in completing that half of your mission you imparted to them, would that satisfy you? Why not? But what if I thought, well, you know, they gave it their best, that's where they dropped off, and I'm going to hang on to the investment they made. Well, even though they didn't really endure to the end of the mission I gave them, but they were really faithful as long as they could until they couldn't bear any more pressure, I'll just hang on to what they did invest. Is the whole mission lost or can the mission be completed? Okay, well, let's pretend for a moment that as that person was investing in the mission and there were people getting truly, authentically saved during that portion of their life and they got testimonies of changed lives and whatever, but they themselves are not. Is that possible? Exactly. So then we got to look at the person carrying the mission versus those who were influenced by the absolute mission given to the person, Right? Church history is filled with these people. They come out of the chute strong and they are go-getters and they are leading people to Christ and they are discipling people and they are full on. Then all of a sudden something happens and they give up the faith. They do not endure to the end. All I'm wanting you to see before we get rolling on this particular message is that God uses all things for the good. God uses his word no matter what. It never returns void. So whether it comes out of a donkey's mouth or some guy that's acting like a donkey, 
The word of God never returns void. So, in other words, God's investment never returns void. But the person who, the donkey that is delivering the message, is going to die and become part of the dirt, right? I'm sure that donkey that was talking for the Lord back in the Old Testament, I don't think that that donkey is a holy donkey in heaven. This is living proof that God will use an ass to speak the truth or he'll use a true indwell believer to speak the truth. His goal is to have his word return with an investment, although he does care about the messenger. Now, if they drop the ball halfway through their mission, God loves them so much he's not going to quit on them. He uses that disbelief to lead them to what they were supposed to have originally. We're speaking out of Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 17. And it says, Now Saul, still breathing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters for him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. What is basically being revealed to us here is that Paul was a man of mission before he was indwelt, right? He was a man of action. He was a leader. He knew how to get to the core of this the way people was to get the list that the Jewish synagogue, the priests, were gathering on the locals that were going to the way. And if he got the list from them, if I just got rid of them, I've done a great service for the synagogue. I think most of our listeners would know, up to this point, Paul was considered a chief priest. He was he was one of the big boys. He, he'd be what I would classify as the theologian, the great theologian for the Jewish people at this point in time. He was a respected man. He was a feared man. And the reason why he was feared is because Paul always accomplished his mission. Now, being in the position of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, if we looked at through their eyes at this this mission-minded Pharisee called Paul, Saul, which was Saul at the time because God typically gives you a new name after you're saved, and that certainly was the case with most New Testament people. And Saul was so committed to the mission of the church that he would murder anyone who got in the way or insulted the church. So he actually got this list put in his hands. Gets on his his horsey and starts galloping out of town. And here's what we have. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus. This was the town to slaughter. Keep it in mind, the living God sees all of these people on the list that Paul was going to slaughter. Okay, so God's knowledge of protecting them. Then we have this mission-minded Paul, 
Pharisee who is on a mission to slaughter God's children, literally bridal members of his son, the woman. And God is aware of all of this, and that's what a great leader shows most prominent in his life is his awareness. He is aware of everything all at one time. All his promises are staying in place. And here we have this guy with a letter in his hand with a whole list of bridal members of Jesus Christ that are about to be slaughtered. And God decides to step in. So and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice. Now today we'd call someone hearing voices mentally ill. You think this kind of thing happens in the world today? I have stories of young men that I am discipling that have stories like this. Yes, they do happen. Why don't they come out and write books about it and whatever? Because people think they're nuts. Just keep that filed away as we go through this. So this flash of light, Zo, is all around him. The flash of Zo is so incredibly powerful. The flash, it throws him to the ground. Probably on his horse still. Blows him off the horse. Ends up on the ground. Oh, but he's not done with him yet. Because he knows the will of Paul completing his previous mission. This is a man that cannot be stopped by mankind. Everyone feared him. Including Christians. True Christians. So he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. It's probably more like, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know, that's not the first thing that would have come out of my mouth if I wanted to get this guy's attention. I mean, why put the emphasis on, why are you persecuting me? Jesus doesn't care if he's going to be persecuted. He knew he was going to be persecuted. He knew death would come to himself by persecuting. Here, this is not a big deal. In fact, Jesus is somewhere else at this point in time, and by spirit everywhere, and he brings up persecution. Is there a verse that's coming to your mind? What is done unto the... There you have it. Here's Damascus and these the group of bridal members of Jesus Christ. Who is speaking to Paul? You're about to attack my bride. How dare you? What you do unto them, you are doing unto me. So now you're going to deal with me, the leader, the husband. So, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I love this response because Saul was such a spiritual person, obeying the laws of the Lord. Well, I'm going to kill you. Murder's fine. You talk about hypocrisy at its best. 
But that is not Saul's defense. He realizes that he is a Lord. He's an owner. I would think that Paul would have came back with, What? Say, bro, I'm not persecuting you. I'm killing these idiots over here following the way. No, there was no logical debate going to be ignited. He acknowledges ownership of the spiritual world. Who are you, Lord? The first thing authority figures should do is go to the top. Don't tell me what he's saying. I want to hear him say that. The author. The one whom the words come out of. That's what Paul, Saul at this point was doing. What Lord are you? He didn't debate the flash. He didn't debate the overpowering of putting him to the ground. Holding him to the ground. No. It goes on. And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Stayed right on point. Did he not? I mean, he could have went, I am the son of God. Just that alone would have done it for Paul. Because that's why he was about to slaughter a bunch of people. No. He stayed on point says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. The key point is, the way you treat any human being, you are either insulting the living God or you're exalting the living God. No matter what their behavior or books are saying. You honor and respect the sovereignty of God's will, even if your human mind cannot understand it. Then he says, but get up, as any great leader would do after he's made his main point. It's time for action. It wasn't 40 hours of therapy for Paul. Get up! So he gets up. Enter the city. It will be told to you what you must do. A man of action speaks to a man of action through actions. A man of passivity speaks to a man of passivity by being passive. How many of you listeners right now fit into that category? If you're making the claim that you are a Christian... I ask you the question, listener, how often are you provoked by the Holy Spirit to get up, go, do what I asked you to do? Do you think Paul hesitated in getting up and going to that city? He did not. Because who are you, Lord? You see, he had already identified him as a figure of authority that was beyond him. It was literally pinning him to the ground. In other words, probably better not arouse anger in this one. Because who knows what he would do to me. The men who traveled with him stood speechless. Duh! Can you imagine being his caretaker standing there, you know, on their horse, off their horse, drawn sword, not drawn sword, whatever... But these caretakers of Paul, who would be put to death if anything happened to Paul? 
That's what they did back then. If a servant let something happen to their master, they're dead. And they're like speechless. That is more evidence of being overpowered by the Holy Spirit. You can't even get words out of your mouth as the Lord's ministering to you. He didn't want you to speak. Your words are worthless to the Lord. His words in you is the Lord. So silence is critical. And the blast of the Holy Spirit silenced everyone. A holy hush, they call it in Africa. And this holy hush just silenced everyone so these two leaders can go face to face, one on one, dealing with the issue of you do what I ask you to do. Didn't unfold the whole plan. Just get up, go to that city, and you'll be told. The best way to control someone is you only give them a piece of information at a time. Any good leader knows that. You give them too much information, they just, that's too much to think about. So these two men who stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one, Saul got up from the ground, Though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, nor did he eat, or nor did he drink. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am. He responds to the Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying and he has seen a vision. A man named Ananias came in, laid hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. Now here's the truth of the matter. Paul had a vision. And that's why the helpers couldn't see anything. This was all going on inside his mind. The true eschatology of vision of the New Testament. Paul was brought into it. Was the Lord actually there? Of course he was. The Lord is in authentic visions. Is the Lord actively speaking to Paul in this authentic vision? Of course he is. Why didn't Jesus decide to show up personally? That's none of my business. I just know the simple fact that God then and now continues to use visions to overpower a man's mind staple him to the ground, blind him, and cause him to be a hundred dependent on a hand that was going to guide him and direct him to the answer. And then God shows up in what to speak to a man? In this passage, God speaks to Anasis in this vision. I mean, it's just scattered throughout this whole indwelling experience of Paul. 
tells him literally to go to a particular street and then gives him specific instructions of what to do with this man. Well, why didn't the Lord in this vision just come out and say, well, there's going to be a guy named Saul and, you know, he's that guy that, you know, has been slaughtering all you guys, but, you know, don't let that panic you. Just, uh, you know, here, here's who he is. This is the house that he's in. You know, he's sitting next to the kitchen table and just go in there and blow him away with my power. Okay? No. He sections it off in little pieces. And of course, that was exactly what his response was. Well, this is the man that is persecuting and murdering and slaughtering your, your people. So can you imagine what he, how he felt being asked to address Saul, the greatest theologian on the face of the earth, who was also known as a murderer. So let's back up and get our facts here real quick. Our Lord Jesus Christ is detailing his pathway of deliverance for Paul. One little piece at a time to probably the most intelligent man on the earth at the time. Certainly the most trained. Let's run that forward a little bit to Paul speaking to the Corinth church. And Paul says, I stand before you today fearful and trembling. For I have no persuasive words. You look it up in the Greek. He sounded like a fumbling, fearful idiot. And then he went on to say, but I speak in power. It's my most favorite passage of ministry in the entire Bible. I said, God, whatever that man has, I want it. For your name's sake. I want to be a fumbling, fearful idiot to the world to release the power and revelations of Jesus Christ. Well, there's a price tag with that request. This is what Paul was being set up for. God already knew this man was going to literally be used to transform the first generational church. Peter and the rest of them were for the the foundation of Paul's work with the seven churches. Timothy became one of the first to establish. Polycarp became one of the first to establish and so forth and so on. That's a big moment here. I'd blind him too. I wouldn't let him find the street curb. I wouldn't let him eat or drink anything, keep him weak. Yeah, that's a good plan, Lord. Well, in people's eyes, he was unstoppable. Yeah. And in his own estimation of himself, he was probably unstoppable. So God had to take him out, make sure he knew we took him out. We have a friend who is paralyzed from the middle chest down, and there's been many discussions on why, 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 my <coughs> Lord. And, of course, the conclusion is, why not? Because his previous life was fighter pilot, you know, Air Force man, literally confessing, do they come any more arrogant than me? 
to being in a wheelchair all these years, totally dependent on someone helping him go potty and breathe. We don't count the cost of arrogance. I love boasting. And the Lord has said this is good. But if you're going to boast, boast in the Lord. I've watched Paul's life throughout the New Testament. He's the guy I want to take out to lunch when I get there. And no love is going to replace my love for Jesus. He's my husband for Pete's sake. Peter gets all the credit. But, you know, he's my husband. And Peter, I, I am looking forward to lots of fun discussions with many of the others. But Paul, I identify in a way that my tiny little piece of the vineyard is just on one of the churches he established called the Church of Laodicea. And the responsibility that Timothy had to keep an eyeball on all seven of them, I can't even imagine that pressure. This is a moment that was going to change literally the rest of eternity, even though it was already laid out. This is not just a writer in the New Testament. This is a life changer. This is a paradigm shift. This is moving everything a brand new direction so that you Gentiles can sit in this room today and experience an abundant life message. It's because of Paul. Say, no, it is. It's because of the Lord. Well, then you don't understand how leadership works. God himself knows that without his leaders, he would not be able to do what he's doing. It's just normal. So how many opportunities do we miss because of fear of being persecuted or insulted? I'm sure that's what Ananias was struggling with. And the beauty that God is such a God of details, the street of Hunt for very significant details. Do you understand what that takes? That understands a mind who is having this vision to go, I better write these details down or memorize them. Because every detail is sovereignty. And you pull one piece out of sovereignty, it's no longer sovereign. That's not. But we just blow through our days like, well, I caught 50% of what the Lord wanted to show me today. That's useless. You don't get credit for what you do for the Lord. If God gives you a mission, make sure Paul gets indwelt. Our whole goal here, Ananias, is, is that he gets indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Because of a mission I have preserved for Paul. Don't go halfway here, bro. Don't freak out on me on the way to the house. Because I fear persecution and the distresses and disorders. Finish the job, Ananias. But you do your own research on this man. There is a little bit in church history about him. He, too, was a man that was unstoppable of the mission of the Lord. 
See, God picks out the ones he knows in the long run, <laughs> they'll get it done. Whereas these three over here, they're, they're, they're nice Christians and all, but they're not going to make it till noon, completing what I ask them to do. Does he throw you to hell just because you're 50% obedient? Afraid not. We've got to work out your salvation till you die. And then in Acts 9, verses 1 and 2, when it talks about Saul still breathing threats of murder and whatever, Paul was an established murderer. We got that down. Paul, too, was a man of details. Three, once Paul obtained the hit list, he was on his pathway to murder. And then we discover it all done by this flash of light. That's what kicked this whole thing in. The flash of light throws him into a vision. And in this vision, God is alive. So I'm going to try to make this as clear as I possibly can. True authentic visions are you being brought into what? God sees in that moment. God doesn't need eyeballs. He doesn't need a human brain to translate upside down images. He doesn't. When John was brought up into the spiritual realm, he was actually seeing life as God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit saw life that very moment. It wasn't going, we have created a very special video for you. And in this video, it's going to tell you and show you things that are to come. So don't freak out, just write them down. You can push rewind if you want. He was brought up, and his eyes were opened to see exactly how God sees the past, the present, and the future all at one time. As he turns his head, everyone's in place. And he knows where everyone is. He knows who's going to fail him halfway through. He knows who's going to betray him. He knows who's going to make it to the end. He knows who is going to defy and try to persecute and distress Jesus. He, He knows it all. Can you imagine having your eyes open from earthly eyeballs to internal vision. That's what a vision is. You say, well, how does that work in the demonic world? There is no difference. People that have demonic visions and dreams, they are brought up into seeing how the enemy sees the darkness and hatred and all this evil Yeah, that's a real nightmare. Now what you do inside that nightmare is evidence of your character. And God knows that, and that's why he can actually show up and speak in a dream. Real time. You can't wake up and go, well, now that was an interesting dream. Like it was some kind of Made up story. I'm telling you, it's not how I live. I take every dream serious, every vision serious, and I 
have worked through my lifetime not to take impulsive actions on it, but many times wait for years to see if that dream was going to come true, as in the case of the young man we discussed earlier. I had that discussion with him ten years ago in the dream right after the discussion. And just this week, God said, I have confirmed my dream to you. What does that mean? Wow, thank you, I'm a good dreamer. Get up and go after him. I'm not done with him yet. Okay, Lord. You know how hard it's going to be able to get to him. And God says, I'll make a way. Their fame is nothing. Their little protection around them. I mean, that I, I learned that nothing can block God's mission. And once you see it, you have to adopt the winner's race as if one of the judges, the leading judge sitting at the table says, you've already got this. You're... you're You're the winner. You're going to make it through the string. Of course, we know that applies to all of us in dual believers, not just one or two. All of us are in a race. And those of us who finish the race, as Paul said, receive actual eternal weight of glory stored up. There's a blessing on the other side of those who finish their race. So from this bright flash of light is where everything kicked in. Of course, that was the appearance of Christ himself. This caused a holy demand of falling before the light. Jesus speaks by going to the core, the reality, when God's people are persecuted. Well, we're persecuting Jesus himself. If you're rude, insultive, not loving, etc., etc., there is no excuse you could give this teacher that's going to excuse you. Any rude or harsh or hate-filled responses on the Internet or off the Internet makes no difference to God. What you do unto the least of these, the unsaved, the least of these, you're doing to me. But the least of these, my brethren, are these unsaved people who used to be like you, that God had a mission to get you saved, fully indwelt by the Holy Spirit to carry out his mission. And yet we are rude, sarcastic, and punitive, and hateful to all of these people. And God's going, why are you insulting my Saul when he's going to be my Paul? You with me? Everyone is on a journey. And I don't know where they're at with it. I just need to assist them in getting to the final point before they die. And Paul thinks spiritually, of course, he immediately identifies the voice of the Lord. Jesus identifies himself, goes to the quick of the matter. There's no theological discussions going on here, debating over the law or how important Paul is in defending the law. Why does Paul immediately obey? It's pretty simple, because Paul himself is a man of authority, and he himself requires immediate obedience. 
Acts 9-7 tells us that men who traveled with them stood speechless. Well, you know, all of you guys and gals out there that still believe in a holy hush, I want to thank the Lord publicly for you because I am really big on a holy hush. If the Spirit of the living God is speaking through my mentor, I shut up. Anyone who knows me knows that that is not an easy task. But who's speaking? What authority is speaking and what authoritative words are being spoken? Should silence any listener. Holy hush. The time for questions was not when Paul was brought to his face. It was many days later. And as we know, as the story unfolds, he had to go be discipled by somebody. Who was that? Barnabas. How long was he discipled before Barnabas released him? Twelve years. When Paul heard internally, now Paul, he was released. But see, we don't want to talk about the twelve years that he was under the thumb of a discipler. We just want to talk about the profound words of Jesus that came out of Paul. Well, there might have been a process he had to go through to get to that point. The smarter the brain, the longer it takes to dumb them down. I stand before you without any superiority speech. A bright man has got a lot of dumbness to inherit. And finally, even though... When we look at Ananias and the fear that was going on in his life and the struggles that he was having and he's obviously hearing the Lord in person and it, but it's in this vision and these details are coming out and he's expected to complete these details but he's going to the very person that he probably had been running from and fearful of. And little old me, you want me to do what? Why don't you go grab Peter? Or your beloved John? He's a butt kicker. But why are you picking on me? Well, actually, you're the most convenient one. No, he was ordained before the ages to be the one to lead Paul to the indwelling life of Christ. So at first he opens his sight and he lays hands on him and the like flakes, it says, fell from his eyes. It's like God took some of my quick cement stuff in my basement, stuck it on one eyeball, grabbed another fistful, stuck it on the other eye, and he's just like sealed shut. He couldn't see a thing. And these flakes fall from his eyes and he sees earthly Again, But see, up to the point of the, the flash to the laying on of hands for healing, for get his eyesight back, he was completely in sight internally. Just the perfect amount of time, which happened to be how many days? Three. Three. And then he gets his eyesight back and he think it'd be done? Well... Here's Aniasis. Listeners, I'm making this up. Aniasis says, okay, 
Saul, we need to give you a new name because I don't like that name, Saul. I'm telling you that right now. And I've been looking at the words, the names here. Well, how about we just give you the name Paul? It's never even been recorded anywhere in history. No one has ever been named this name. Well, that's what we'll do. We'll give you, we'll give you Paul. So Saul's sitting there going, excuse me, I am known for being Saul. Wouldn't God use this fame to advance the gospel? No, you're a nobody now. Um, so Paul's your name. And now, this I'm supposed to sign you to Barnabas for discipleship. No. The next thing was, first the scales were removed from his eyes, and what was the next step he had to do? Baptize. Baptize him. Name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, I look at this story and I go, the perfect steps and details of indwelling salvation has been written before us. No wonder Paul could step into Corinth as Apollos as a rookie was really doing his best, fervent in spirit, filled up with a passion to get the Lord's work done but being a rookie. And Paul happens to come into town and there's these 12 disciples, not part of the original group. These are brand new, 12 disciples that ran in this community. And Paul steps into town and what is the first thing he discerns out? Baptism of belief versus baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is that not what happened here? You see, how you say you got saved is how you're going to end up leading others to salvation. And that does not impress me, and I'm certain that it doesn't impress the Lord. There is his methodology, his details he goes through, Not everyone has to be blown off their horse by a camera flash. But I'm here to tell you that detail was needed by the Lord for Paul to take that authority figure off of his arrogant horse ride, throw him to the ground in which he came from, and have his spiritual eyes opened and see and hear the Lord speak to him bluntly. And only give him enough details that he couldn't manipulate with his religious theology. There are listeners listening right now that grew up in a religious church. You thought your confirmations got you saved. You thought your words that you memorized got you saved. Or you thought maybe being baptized got you saved. But I am here to tell you God is a God of methods. Order. And he has steps that he takes people through before they receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If you don't believe me, let's watch your life for a few years. And the most deceived Christians on the face of the earth 
are those who think they have a ticket in their pocket because they did one or more of those religious things. You see, they never come under conviction. Ever. Those are the ones who are actually spit out of the mouth of Jesus. You say, well, then they must have been saved and then because Jesus had them in his mouth. No, if you go back there and look, you'll discover that taste of the Lord. You see, while they're in the mouth of the Lord, you think you're saved and you're not. You're being tasted. You're being tasted to see, are you one of the real chunks of fish of men that I want to ingest to become a part of my body? Or are you in my mouth being tasted to see, really, what you're made of? That is the question. 602-292-2982. All who receive the indwelling life of Jesus through the filling of the Holy Spirit are significant. But there are certain converts or converted ones that change the face of history. Now, there is most likely a man who is listening to this podcast And we have had fruitful discussions on certain leaders that are in this world today that are changing, presently changing the face of church history. And we can write their names on a notepad. In fact, we have. We're going after them. They're history changers. They don't live in the fields and pick the grapes. Those workers are needed. God certainly knows that. But there's history changers. There's Pauls in this world today. And we gotta get them organized. We gotta get them unified. We gotta get them together and finish the job. But if you're interested in picking Walmart's plastic fruit, you're not in the Father's vineyard. Because there's no plastic fruit in that vineyard. So you might want to check out exactly what vineyard you're in. Thank you for joining us today. Next week uh, is a message I am very, very excited about. about The indwelling life of Christ. We're going to start breaking this down and how it affects cultural beliefs. Thanks for joining us. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.